there's a little bit of I don't know if I can call it beef, but a little uh, something that just bugs me. Um, and you know, as we go through our study through the Book of Acts, I'm gonna—it's gonna seem like I'm talking some smack, and I don't want it to seem that way, but maybe in a way I am. Um, and I mean no disrespect whatsoever to the Lord, because the church is His bride. But a lot of what we see today in Christian circles, you know, you look at the book of Acts and there's a disconnect between what we see in Christian circles, in Christian homes, in uh, Christian groups, male, female, uh, youth groups, uh, in churches. There's a disconnect between what you see in the book of Acts. A lot of things that... I don't know if I can say that it bugs me, but some things that just kind of irk me, maybe irk is a better word to use, is a lot of the Christian posture is defensive. And there's nothing wrong with having a defensive posture, nothing wrong in that at all. But don't forget, you know, there's also an offensive posture, you know, and metaphysically speaking, Say, for example, if we're a small fire team, okay, we're a small fire team and we're out on patrol and we're just, you know, we're, we have a proper distance, you know, in case a, a grenade won't kill two people, a grenade will kill only one person. We have proper distance. We're going through and we're just kind of on patrol, looking for things on the alert. And say, for example, we take sniper fire. And Liz falls to the ground. You know, the one closest to Liz runs over to her and realizes, oh, it's just a, a flesh wound. It just grazed her neck and she's got a little, she's bleeding from the neck. And we take a little defensive posture. And rather than being scared, rather than being like, oh, we've taken fire. And rather than Liz being like, oh, you know, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. She's mad. She's just straight up like. It's time to get some, you know. It's time to, you know, hey, it's payback. And so I call out, hey, who saw, who saw the sniper fire? Did anybody see a sniper? Did anybody see a muzzle flash? Liz looks up again, sees nothing. Emily looks up again, sees nothing. Fur peeks around the corner, and boom, somebody takes a shot. The sniper takes a shot. And then Fur says, hey, I saw a muzzle flash. Two o'clock high. He takes his little canister out, pops some smoke, and it's offense. You know, we're going to go handle some business. And a lot of times people don't think about the Christian life as offense. There's nothing wrong at all with a defensive posture. There's safety in a defensive posture. But what's so beautiful about the book of Acts is that you see straight up offense. A people, men, women, young, old, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're on offense. There's defensive postures that we're going to see and study. But then you see a lot of offense. 
And you see people being saved like crazy. It's not a gimmick. It's not a sales pitch. You know, salvation is the power of God. It's the power of God. And that's what's missing in Christian homes today and Christian lives. Husbands, wives, kids, churches, men's groups, women's groups, youth groups. The power of the Holy Spirit. It has become a social club. And, you know, the enemy will be like a sniper and take a shot. And everybody gets in a defensive posture. Somebody might be wounded. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm under attack. I'm under attack. And it's like, okay, you know, you're under attack. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to be in a defensive posture your whole life? Or is it time to go on the offense? You know, and it's such a trip because that's what we see here in the book of Acts. You see it in young people. You see it in old people. You see it in people who like, you know, like with Paul before his name changed, he was Saul. You know, a worker of the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And now all of a sudden he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He believes in Jesus Christ and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And right here where we left off last week in verse 13, you know, there's the big multitude of people, devout Jews, who from all over the world come to Jerusalem in in observance of the law, in the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvests, which happens, you know, after 50, remember the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost? Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And so you have this big multitude of Jews from all over the world, they gather there in Jerusalem. They hear, you know, they see the, the home and then they see the, the, the wind and the, uh, 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 in verse two says the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So the multitudes is on the outside and they hear this mighty wind. In verse six says, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. They started to hear their own languages. Well, I'm a Jew from Africa and this guy's speaking, you know, Swahili like I do. Or I'm a Jew from China and this guy's speaking Chinese like I do. You know, making little additives. If you want to know exactly, look at verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, adjoining adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Uh, we, We hear them speaking in our tongues the wonderful works of God. It's not just, you know, babbling. It's, there's a purpose behind it. Speaking of the wonderful works of God. And where we ended last week, it says, so in verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. They are full of, uh, 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 it translates as a sweet wine, which, you know, you can get drugged faster when you add sugar to, if you're a winemaker. It increases the alcohol, uh, uh, the percentage of alcohol, makes it more potent. And it's a trip because, you know, non-believers, mockers, 
when they see you, when they see your witness, when they see, wow, you know, you're not going to go to the strip clubs anymore. Wow, you're not going to get drunk anymore. You're not going to do all these things anymore. You're not going to party anymore like you used to. You used to hang out with us. And you're not going to party anymore. But when they see your witness, when they hear your language, you know, how come you're not cussing anymore? How come you're not talking like this anymore? And you say, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. And then people are going to say, you know what? You're so stupid. You're so crazy. It's moments like this where, yes, you can take a defensive posture. And be like, oh, you know, I, I, don't, want, I don't want my feelings to get hurt. We live in a snowflake generation. Everybody, you know, oh, my feelings are hurt. Don't say that. And, you know, you hear the person, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt your feelings, you know. So therefore, I won't say anything against this. I won't say anything to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to, you know, be, a, you know, you're a little snowflake. That's not offense. You know, that's being a little scaredy cat. And I love this so much because now you see Peter in verse 14 where we're going to kick off our study. And from right here, chapter 2, verse 14, it's straight up offense, the entire book of Acts. It's like straight up, it's on like Donkey Kong. Like, boom, this is where it starts. Remember, you know, the people, the Christians, the believers, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, or in verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see that a lot in the book of Acts. A group of Christians, a, a home, women believers. You're going to see it in young people. You're going to see it in individuals. Filled with the Holy Spirit. These exact words. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see it all over the book of Acts. And I'm going to make mention of it. Another thing you're going to see a lot is you're going to see like in verse 1. It says they were all with one accord in one place. Humotumadon is what it is in the Greek. It means to be of one mind. What is the one mind? It's the full counsel of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. It's not to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I believe this is okay. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I believe this is okay. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I believe this. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I also believe in the Virgin Mary. I also believe, you know, the uh, 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 Hinduism. And I have my little Buddha next to my computer. Oh, my house is, you know, feng shui. And I have my little uh, Hindu stuff over here. My uh, whatever they call it. And every morning, you know, I do my yoga. I do my sun salutation. Oh, I also believe in, you know, uh, Islam says that Jesus was a prophet. So I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. What do you see? You see... You know, the church is kind of muddied a little bit. In some cases, maybe I can't even say a little bit. It's muddied a lot of it. 
where it's murky. You ever see like, you know, water where, you know, the sediment is all at the bottom and it's like, wow, this is clear water. But then you shake it up and the water's muddy and murky. That's what the church is like today. Everybody believes their own little thing. Oh, you know, you're too hardcore. I don't believe that way. You know, I believe since God is a God of love, then, you know, he'll allow these things in a home. He's okay when my daughter does Ouija boards. God is a God of love. But you read the full counsel of the word of God, you start to understand the character of our Lord, the nature of our Lord. And it's not just to understand his nature. While you're doing that, while you're reading scripture and while you're yielding to him, he'll do something in your life. He'll give you a new heart, a new mind, and then you'll start to think differently. You'll start to speak differently. You'll start to behave differently. Such is the case with Peter. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Peter. One who walked with Jesus. And then one who denied Jesus Christ one time. Denied Jesus Christ a second time. Denied him a third time. And then wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. But then what happens when, you know, he's on a boat with some other brothers? And somebody says, hey, look, it's Jesus on the shore. And Peter dives out. He couldn't wait to close that gap between him and the Lord. And then the Lord tells him, you know, Peter, do you love me? Peter came back to Jesus Christ. Yeah, there was a distance there. He followed Jesus Christ at a distance. And then he denied Jesus Christ one, two, three times. And then the third time he denied Jesus Christ, he was hardcore about it. You know, the people said, you know, in, in uh, Matthew 26, he said in verse 69, you are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And then in verse 71, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Or this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Now he's shouting. I don't know him. And then in verse 73, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Maybe he spoke in words, you know, that Jesus Christ, when, when you're exposed to Jesus Christ, he changes you. He changes your language. And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ so much because when they told him, surely you are also one of them for your speech betrays you. It says, then he began to curse and swear, <clears throat> saying, I do not know the man, exclamation point. And immediately the rooster crowed. You know, you read other passages, Luke chapter 22, verse 61 says, when he said that, Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus was in the distance and he was be being beaten. He just got done being beaten. He's bloody and bruised. Remember, they ripped out his beard. Scourged. And when the rooster crowed in Luke 22, verse 61, says Jesus was looking at Peter. 
when he said, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive. I do not know that guy. I do not know him. And then he looks up and he sees Jesus, bloody Jesus there. And then the end of verse 75 says, so he went out and wept bitterly. This is the Peter who's a different guy now. Because when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, you have these mockers who are saying, oh, they're just drunk. Look at this former denier of Jesus Christ in verse 14. But going back to Acts 2 now. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. You know, remember the devout Jews, they would gather from around the world. And you know what's so powerful about this is that the Holy Spirit, unbeknownst to them, is moving like a wildfire. The Holy Spirit is moving among the Jews. But then at the same time, all throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see that there's heavy opposition. Heavy, heavy, heavy opposition. Satan. The demonic realm wants you and wants me to be stupid. Wants you, wants me to be little tiny babies. You know, I don't think Satan minds a young Christian. I really don't think Satan minds a new believer. Because they're baby Christians. But then what he wants is for that baby Christian to stay a baby Christian. No empowering of the Holy Spirit. No knowledge of scripture. And when I say I'm going to speak a lot of smack, I don't want to. But have you ever talked with a Christian? And then all of a sudden you start to say things from the book of Jonah. You start to say things from the book of Isaiah. And they're like, wow, I've never heard that before. And you're like, well, you know. You might not say it, but you might think it. You know, how long have you been going to church? How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been walking with the Lord? And you don't know these things? That's one of the biggest dangers in a body of Christ is illiteracy to holy things. It's one of the biggest dangers because pastors get away with murder. Elders get away with murder. They say, oh yeah, you know, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord will never contradict himself. Thus saith the Lord. And then they speak these things and the people are like, wow, amen. You know, a woman pastor. I'm not a sexist. But you know, you read what the Bible says. And Brother Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy. He says, hey, women aren't supposed to be teaching the men. Women can have ministry and they can teach women. But no, women are supposed to be teaching men. 
men are supposed to be teaching men. And so you looking like, you know, you turn on TBN, tricking believers nightly. And you watch what's happening. You see a woman pastor. You see all these men in the church. Oh, amen, sister. Amen, sister. It's like, have you never read? Do you not know? And it's like, how can I expect the power of God to work in me when my life doesn't even align with his holy word? And I'm not talking about, you know, your life has to align with 100% of what the Bible says like that immediately. But to say, wow, Lord, you know, I just read Matthew. And what I know from the book of Matthew, what you taught me from the book of Matthew, Lord, I want my life to align with that. And then you keep reading. And, you know, in these stupid, dumb earth suits that I cannot wait to get out of. In these dumb earth suits. It's like you're going to forget. And then you're going to get to Revelation, you're going to go back to Genesis, and you're going to read, and you're going to be like, oh, I forgot about that. Lord, forgive me. And you're going to grow slowly, but surely you're going to be growing. You're going to be maturing. And the Holy Spirit moves, just like the Holy Spirit is moving here in Jerusalem. And then so Peter, he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk. Remember, they said, these people are drunk. They're crazy. And Peter stands up. These, we're not drunk. As you suppose or as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. For me, you know, I read this. This is one of the funniest parts in the Bible. I've always, ever since, like, the first time I read that, like, I was laughing the very first time I read that, you know, 20-some years ago. I read out of a different translation. And he's like, you know, the translation, I said, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. And I put my Bible down, and I started to laugh so hard. That's what Peter, he stands up. Hey, we're not drunk, you guys. And then he starts to speak. About the holy word of God. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Yahweh is God. And then this is what he quotes. He teaches from Joel chapter 2 verse 28 through 32. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Now I have to say something here. A little pause in verse 17. You wonder, like the last days? What do you mean the last days? You know, I don't get it as the last days. And so what happens here is the Holy Spirit is moving among Israel. Remember when Jesus Christ says, go to uh, Judea uh, uh, um, in the outer parts of the world. You know, go and preach the good news. Go and make disciples. And in the fulfillment of that, the Lord is going to equip his people. It's where people get the saying, where God guides, God provides. Provision has nothing to do with money. What is it that the Lord is calling you to do? What is it that the Lord would like to do in you and through you? It's not for me to say. You know what is for me to say is yield to him.
yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to do this work in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, to the depths of your marrow. Let him give you a new mind. Let him give you a new spirit, a new heart. And when, when Peter quotes here from Joel, remember he's a fisherman, former fisherman. Now he's a fisher of men. In a very, very short while from this moment in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is going to shift focus from the Jews to the Gentiles. In a very, very short moment. From the Jews to the Gentiles. And when you read Holy Scripture, it's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. You know, turn with me really quick to Romans 11. In Romans 11, verse 25, this is Brother Paul speaking. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. And what is the mystery? He kind of explains it further. You look at verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? He's speaking about the Jews. He says, certainly not, exclamation point. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Where we're at in Acts 2, it's for the Jew right now. And then, you know, salvation is going to shift. The Holy Spirit is going to shift focus to the Gentiles. But then he says in verse 25, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Does that sound familiar? A lot of people are wise in their own opinion. Oh, I think you should do this in your life. Oh, I think your marriage should be like this. Oh, I think your business should look like this. But you know what? If it doesn't align with Holy Scripture, if the counsel they give doesn't align with Holy Scripture, if their life doesn't align with Holy Scripture, if their marriage, if their parenting doesn't align with Holy Scripture, if every aspect of their being doesn't align with Holy Scripture, you know what I say? Take their counsel and throw it in the trash. Throw it in the garbage. Paul says, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Me personally, I believe the fullness of the Gentiles is like, like right. I believe we're almost there. And then he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So you see, God is at work. God is doing something. And the reason why I wanted to look at this passage in Romans 11 is because what's happening here in Acts 2 is that the focus of the Holy Spirit is on Judah. The Jews. But in a very, very, very short while, the Holy Spirit is going to do a moving amongst the Gentiles. But there's a reason for it. A lot of people will say, John Piper. A lot of people will say, God is done with Israel. 
It's called replacement theology. The promises of God are no longer on the Jews. They are now on the Christians. You know what I say? That is garbage. Garbage. You go on social media, people are like, oh, look at this godly man. I see the name. Who is it? What have I heard him teach? Replacement theology? Throw it in the garbage. Who is this guy? He has his, you know, fancy study Bible. What have I heard him teach? It's okay to take it the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Garbage. Oh, that's too hardcore. That's too hardcore. You know what? We're supposed to be people of love. But you know what? Is there any other way to live? Go ahead. Be on a defensive posture your whole life. Go ahead. The bullets will fly. And go ahead and be a little snowflake. But there's another way. I know it's... I don't mean to sound prideful or arrogant in saying it like that. But we're straight up reading in the book of Acts. And this is just the beginning. There's going to be more bullets flying. And you're going to see these men of God, these women of God, they're on offense like crazy. And it's beautiful to see. No snowflakes here. And so what's so powerful is when Peter starts to speak and invoke the teachings of Joel, Yahweh is God. He says in verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. And you wonder, what do you mean the last days? On the timeline of, you know, like, it's, it's like there's a pause. There's a gap in time. I'll explain that. In the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, he says 70 weeks are determined or 70 weeks are decreed. And 70 is a set of 70 sets of seven or 490 years. And in accordance with the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks are determined or 490 years. And from the day, if you remember, I don't think we've studied it yet. I've referred to it quite a bit. And when you read Nehemiah 1 and you read Nehemiah 2, the king, Atacerses, he has a servant. He's there. He's sitting on his throne. He's about ready to eat a meal. And there's a servant that's next to him, a servant by the name of Nehemiah. And so he's about to have a meal. And he looks up at Nehemiah and Nehemiah's countenance is sad. He's grieved. And then the king at Asersis, he says, Nehemiah, what's up? Like, why are you so sad? And then Nehemiah remembers Judah. Nehemiah remembers Jerusalem. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're here. This is a beautiful kingdom. But my homeland, I'm a Jew. My homeland, it's in ruins. And the Holy Spirit moved and so Adaserses all of a sudden looks up at Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. You think like, put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. 
Yeah, it's good news. It's cool. Like, wow, I'm going to go back to my homeland and rebuild. But how? I don't have the resources. And then Adesurses also says, oh, by the way, I'll bankroll it. I'm going to fund it. You just go do it. The Lord will provide. Where God guides, God provides. Never, ever, 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 ever in your life for as long as you live. Liz and I can get in a car crash on our way home. Fly through the windshield and we say goodnight. And as long as you live for the rest of your days, never forget that where God guides, God provides. He is always with you. But when Adesurses, he gave the command to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and build. It's like there's a little hourglass on, in the heavenly realm. And all of a sudden, it flips upside and the sands start going down. Because 483 days or 483 years from that moment in time, you know what happens? To the day, I'll add. Exactly from that moment, Jesus Christ comes riding on a donkey, Palm Sunday. And the people cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Just as prophesied by the prophet Daniel. Daniel. You say, wait a second, that's 483 years. But you said it was 490 years. Remember, 70 sets of seven. In the heavenly realm, it's like that hourglass was turned back on its side. What happened to the seven years? That's the pause in time. That's the gap in time. That's what I mean when I say there's a gap. And you know, when you see the peace agreement, the, the uh, covenant with many as prophesied in Daniel 9, the hourglass goes up again. And the sands start falling. The final seven years of world history. That kicks off with the peace agreement. You know, prophetically speaking, you know, I don't, I don't like to take the news and like, you know, say like, wow, you know, this prophecy is being fulfilled like this, this, this. Because, you know, it creates an anxiety inside the Christian. But then at the same time, the Lord also tells us, hey. Look at the signs of the times. These are the signs of the times. This coming peace agreement that's going to happen in Israel, which is like, it's a huge deal. I mean, I can't say like, hey, the seven years is going to start. The hourglass in the heavenly realm is going to be put upright again. I can't say that this is it. But I also can't say this isn't it. Be ready. Always be ready to give an account. The reason why you believe. You don't have to give an account why, you know, you could tell somebody, hey, this is why you should believe. But then when these naysayers, when these mockers, you know, confront you, you don't have to give, you know, a reason why they should believe or this person should believe. You give a reason why you should believe, why you do believe. Remember the Pharisees, you know, when they're like, wow, you know, you're you were blind because of sin in your life. 
these educated people, the, the, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus Christ healed this guy from blindness. He says, go and wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Well, first he sees the blind guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus Christ kneels before him, you know, picks up some of the earth, spits in it, you know, and then he rubs it together, making mud. And it's very, you read the account of creation. Adam created from the dirt. And Jesus Christ go returns to the earth, back to his palate. He picks up some dirt, spits in it. And it's like, wow, it's like his, his, his palate is his hand. And he's mixing the spit that he has. And then he put, mixes it. And it's like, wow, he's returning back to his palate. And then he touches the guy's eyes. And he tells the guy, go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, people would say, oh, you know, that's so fake, the pool of Siloam. You go to Google, it's like, wow, they just found the pool of Siloam. They found the road that leads up to Jerusalem. That leads up into the temple area. 20 years ago, oh, that's so fake. You Christians, you believe in all these fairy tales. Look at what archaeology is revealing. It's kind of interesting for these last days. And so this guy is healed from his blindness. He goes in obedience, just like Jesus Christ told him. He goes, washes his face in the pool of Siloam, washes, and then all of a sudden he can see. And then the religious leaders, they're telling him, hey, you were blind because of sin in your life. The guy wasn't like formally educated like these guys, but he gives a reason why he believes. He says, look, you know what? I don't, whatever you got to say, that's between you. But all I know is that I was blind and now I see. He gave a reason why he believes. Jesus Christ also told him, hey, go and sin no more. And he didn't say, oh, you sin now? Go ahead, go get drunk. Go ahead, go to the strip clubs. Go ahead, go back and do your, you know, your crack. He says, hey, go and sin no more. You're different now. Be different. And so this pause, you know, uh, uh, Peter here, when he's speaking in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he starts to speak what happens, you know, before this gap in time. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, you see men and women together being filled by the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now, right here, Right at this point in verse 18, it's like the hourglass is, you know, put on its side and awaiting the final seven years. And you're going to see just as the prophet Joel prophesied and just as Peter is saying in the book of Acts, what do you have? You see the spirit of God moving like wildfire being poured out on all flesh. You see sons and daughters who are prophesying. You see young men who see visions. You see old men who dream dreams. 
And then in verse 19, it's like the hourglass is set upright again. And he starts to focus on the last part of what the prophet Joel was speaking about, the final seven years of world history. Which is, you know, we studied extensively in the book of Revelation. In verse 19, he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name shall be saved. Some people will say, oh, it's only the elect. God predestines people to heaven. God predestines people to hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Turn with me really quick to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2 verse 30, this is what Peter straight up read or what he was speaking empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's so cool how the Holy Spirit, when Peter is speaking, he doesn't. He doesn't make up stuff. He's speaking empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, whatever he's saying aligns perfectly. He's not, he doesn't have like an open Bible and he's just reading a script. Everything is saying aligning with the, the in, in yielding to the Holy Spirit. It aligns with the, what the prophet Joel wrote. Also inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see these vessels. These writers of Holy Scripture putting this down, penning this on parchment in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is what Joel writes about in verse 30. He says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved for in Mount Zion and in all Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Whom the Lord calls. He says, For behold, in those days and at that time, this is chapter 3 now, verse 1. In those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. What is the valley of Jehoshaphat? It's outside of Jerusalem. There's the Kidron Valley. It's also called Megiddo. Where you read Revelation, it says that's where the battle of Armageddon is going to occur. And here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the prophet Joel says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Now you read in chapter 3, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will also roar from Zion. Remember the first time Jesus came? He came as the Lamb of God. 
He comes the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. God is at work. Even in these days, which I call me personally, right? You know, not like the complete fullness of the Gentiles, but pretty close. In my opinion. Pretty close to the fullness of the Gentiles. At what point were that, that hourglass in heaven, metaphysically speaking, at what point will that hourglass, the 483 years at a pause, because remember 490 years are decreed, 70 sets of seven, at what point will that hourglass in the heavenly realm be lifted up again and the sands start going again for the final seven years of world history? Could happen soon. It could happen very soon. The Lord could tarry. It could happen in 500 years, a thousand years. Or it could happen in one year. Be ready. Be ready. And so what's so powerful here is you have these Jews. They're in Jerusalem. They're listening to this guy, Peter, speak, whom they said, oh, this guy's just drunk. You know, the people he's with, they're a bunch of drunkards. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts to speak. Verse 21 in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You put yourself in these Jews' shoes. Oh, I'm a devout Jew. I come to make alms for the Lord in fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks. I'm performing the law. I'm in Jerusalem. You know what? I'm saved. I'm saved. I'll put that in today's terminology. I go to church. I'm saved. But no, it's a little deeper than that. Say, what do you mean a little deeper than that? No, 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 no. I'll rephrase that. It's a lot deeper than that. To these devout Jews, look at what beautiful, beautiful, beautiful brother Peter says. Men of Israel, hear these words. This word to hear, it really translates as hearken. Hearken. What does hearken mean? It's one thing to hear. It's one thing to listen. But what Peter is saying here is to listen and pay attention. I like old English. Because it captures these things. Hearken your ears. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God or exhibited by God to you. By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered or surrendered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands or wicked hands, have crucified and put him put to death. These are devout Jews. Who in accordance with the law, they're coming to Jerusalem to make alms before the Lord on the 50th day, on the Feast of Weeks, at Pentecost, 
And you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is saying, hey, there's a different Pentecost than what you have in mind. Oh, but Peter, my hands are holy. Peter says, no, your hands are wicked. Your hands are wicked. He says in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death or destroyed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. I love the psalmist so much. He starts to quote from Psalm 16. He says, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. I have to to tell you a little something. If in your life you desire to be immovable. You know what? I have a question for you. Who or what is at your right hand? Oh, I want to be immovable. Are you still holding on to the crack pipe? Oh, I want to be immovable. Are you still holding on to your computer for your pornography? Oh, I want to be immovable. Are you still holding on to your scotch? What is it that you're holding on to? I want to be immovable. Are you still holding on to the Virgin Mary? To Buddha? That's why I love the psalmist. He says, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And you read that not as literature. You read this empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? Hold on to Christ. Hold on to Jesus Christ. And that's my exhortation today. Who is at your right hand? If it's not Jesus Christ, repent. If it is Jesus Christ, rejoice. Verse 26, quoting David. You know, Peter the fisherman. Fisherman in that day and age was like, you know, not even blue collar. It was like lower than blue collar. It wasn't for the learned class. It wasn't, you know, high society. No formal education. And then all of a sudden, Peter the fisherman is quoting from the prophet Joel. Now he's quoting from the Psalms. He's quoting David. Verse 26. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. My, my heart rejoiced. And my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. You see, the good shepherd rescues. The good shepherd rescues. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Translates as decay. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen. You have made known to me the ways of life. This is the teachings of Holy Scripture. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. That's the blessings of applying the teachings of Holy Scripture in your life. 
When you read the Bible as literature, it's not good. You're just reading it for the sake of reading it. It'd be better to, you know, read something else. But no, when you read the Bible and you apply the Bible to your life and your heart and your mind, something beautiful is going to happen. Just as it is written here, you will make me full of joy in your presence. And Peter, beautiful, beautiful Peter, he continues to speak in verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. Translate says, let me be blunt with you. Let me be frank with you. I love this so much. You know, he doesn't, you know, it's one thing, you know, you don't want to be a jerk. But there's something very, very abrasive about truth. Truth hurts. Truth is painful. Because you know what? We're in the flesh. You and me, we're in these earth suits. And when you read the truth of Holy Scripture, it will be painful. It will be abrasive. And you know, we live in a snowflake generation. And what I say, don't be a snowflake. Don't be a snowflake. Allow the word of God to hurt you. Because he will hurt you. Allow the word of God to hurt you. And you know, this is why I say, allow the word of God to hurt you. Because as it is written in Hebrews 12 verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, there's a purpose behind the chastening of the Lord. If I'm a snowflake, I'll read the Bible and be like, whoa, I don't like the Bible is hurting my feelings. I'm a little snowflake. I don't want to read the Bible. That's what a snowflake does. But somebody who is allowing, you know, who desires to be trained by Holy Scripture. Like, whoa, these passages, these verses, they hurt my heart. They hurt my feelings. They hurt my mind. They really are painful. But let the Lord have his perfect work in your life. Because chastening isn't, isn't joyful for the present. It's not for the here and now chastening. It's for the hereafter because afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to be a snowflake. All your feelings are hurt. Don't go to church. Your feelings are hurt. You know, go to this other church where you can be lost in the crowd. The pastor, he tells jokes. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you feel good about yourself. Oh, what's that? You're living in sin? Go to this church. The pastor will make you feel good about it. Don't go to that church. Why are you going to read the Bible? You don't need to read the Bible. You go to church on, you know, every other week. You go to church once a month. Don't read the Bible. Just continue doing what you're doing. That's what Satan wants. Oh, yeah, you can sit in the pews. You could listen or you could sit there, but don't listen to the word. You know, open up your phone, you know, check your emails. 
You know, you can watch TV, you know. Send a text message to your friend, you know. Have a little conversation with your friend. Don't listen to what's being taught. That's what Satan wants. That's what happens in a lot of churches. In You know, I don't tell you this to be like, hey, you got to live like this. You got to live like I don't say it like that. I tell you from experience, I used to be one of those snowflakes. And I was in sin. Yeah, you know, I'll go to church. I want to feel good about myself and I'll cherry pick. I don't want to go to this church. I'll go to this church. And I used to have, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I was lukewarm. And at one point in my life, I said, you know what? I'm done with this garbage. I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I took all my music, threw it in the trash, took all my movies, threw it in the trash, got rid of all these things. The Lord humbled me. And something happened in my heart, in my mind. I'm speaking personally about me. Something also happened to Liz. Something happened in the marriage, but I can't take credit for that. It's the Lord that did the work. The only thing I can take credit for is that I surrendered to him. That's the only thing I can take credit for. If I was a Calvinist, you know, I'd say, hey, I can't even take credit for that. The Lord forced me down. But I'm not a dumb Calvinist. I don't teach these things. Why? Because the Bible doesn't teach it. And I tell you these things from experience. I can't control anybody. You know, little robots, you know, I can't have a little remote control and control you. But I tell you from experience, when you yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow his spirit, it's hard. It's not, I'm not trying to say it's a piece of cake because the Bible will hurt your feelings, your little feelers. Oh, I, I hurt. Oh, this hurts my feelings. But if you walk the Christian life as a snowflake, You're going to be like the little scaredy cat. You're going to have a defensive posture your whole life, which isn't bad. You know, it's not bad to have a defensive posture. But what I'm trying to say is, hey, pop some smoke. Stand up again. And you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to get some. We're going to fight. And it's so powerful because that's what you see here in the book of Acts. And you know what happens here? Peter is speaking and he's teaching these things. And he says, hey guys, let me be frank with you. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, in verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body or the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh. I'm not trying to get graphic, but you guys know what it says here. Speaking about babies, you know, the next generation. Peter had, or, or David had multiple wives. He had multiple concubines. His son Solomon had multiple wives, just like his dad, and multiple concubines, up to a thousand. I'm not advocating, you know, multiple wives or multiple concubines. But that's what was in the Bible. 
I could explain that more. And I kind of touched on that when we did our study in Genesis. Maybe I'll explain that more. I mean, in terms of a shadow of the things to come, there's a beautiful side to that. I'm not speaking in the flesh at all. The flesh side is the ugly side. I'm speaking about one Christ for the body of Christ. And it's spiritually discerned the meaning, what I mean in saying that. But here, in accordance with the flesh, Peter is saying, you know, according to the flesh, you know, the fruit of his loins. According to the flesh, he said he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne in the progeny or the lineage of David. You know, he did have a multitude of wives and concubines. But you know what? From Bathsheba. Who was obtained through sin. But from Bathsheba, he had some kids. He had other kids, but from Bathsheba, he had some other kids. One of those kids was named Solomon. You follow that lineage and you have a guy by the name of Joseph. Another kid that Bathsheba had was named Nathan. Through that lineage, you know, you have a girl by the name of Mary. And then the two became one. You say, wait a second, you know, that's of the flesh. Don't forget, Mary. The seed that was given inside of her is holy. That's what happens when you read the genealogy of Matthew 1 and the genealogy of Luke chapter 3. You see that lineage of the Davidic line, you know, goes from Solomon and then makes its way to uh, 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 Joseph. And then the lineage, you know, makes its way from Nathan to Mary. The whole time God was at work. The whole time he was at work. Even when we get to these passages, when you get to, you know, the Chronicles, when you get to, you know, like this as first and second Samuel, and you see what happens in the life of David, you're going to see ups, you're going to see beautiful things, and you're going to see some terrible things that will break your heart. Even in those times, even in those moments, the Lord is at work. The same can be said of you and of me. The Lord is at work. The question is, who is going to remain faithful to his holy name? In the ups, in the downs, who is going to stay faithful to him? Or when you're in the downs, are you going to listen to that stupid voice that says, you see, how could a God of love do this? You see, God preordains all these things. How could God preordain this? How could God preordain your mom and dad to get a divorce? How could a loving God preordain you to be molested by this pastor? How could a God of love allow you to be raped? How could a God of love allow, you know, this person to be overdosed? And now he's dead. That's the danger behind Calvinism. Reformed theology. A loving God preordains all these things. And then all of a sudden somebody says, you're right, it's not a loving God. Maybe I'm one of those ones that was predestined for hell. It's pointless for me to believe. 
and Satan is laughing. I got him. I got her. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it cloaks itself in truth. And then when you know truth, you realize that's garbage. That's what I mean when I say offense. Oh, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I'll just shut up about it. I say pop your smoke. When I say pop smoke, it's a little canister grenade. You throw it out. Provides a little cover. You can go out and handle some business. So I'm not, when I say pop smoke, that's what I'm referring to. Go on offense. You know, Liz, you know, she took a shot. She's bleeding from the neck. Just a flesh wound. And she's not like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. She just rips out some duct tape and boom. Gets the skin together, closes the wound. And she's mad. And I'm not trying to say, you know, fulfill the work of the spirit in anger. Metaphorically speaking, that's what I'm saying when I speak about offense. <clears throat> And so, you know, Paul or Peter is speaking about this progeny of David. It says in verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up of which we are all witnesses. You know, he's speaking from firsthand account. We saw him. I was in the room when Timothy put his finger inside, you know, the hole in the side of Jesus. I saw the, you know, the wounds in his hands. He spoke to me. That's what's so powerful about a testimony. You could say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ because, you know, this guy says this. I believe in Jesus Christ because this lady says this. That's not a personal testimony. That's called hearsay. Inadmissible in a court of law. But what happens when you actually are called to witness? I have a firsthand account of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's in my heart. You have a firsthand account of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's in your heart. It's not hearsay. A lot of children, a lot of kids, a lot of teenagers, they speak about a hearsay. So did Jacob. Yeah, this is God, the God of my father. It's not my God. The God of my father, the God of my father. And then you see Jacob wrestling with the Lord. He gets up, he's limping because his hip is out of socket. He got a little messed up. When you fight God, the Lord will mess you up. And then at the same time, he says, okay, the Lord is my God. And God says, you know what? You're no longer Jacob anymore. Your name is Israel, governed by God. The same can be said of you and me. Or is your testimony hearsay? If your testimony is hearsay, you are not qualified to speak about Jesus Christ. In a court of law, hearsay is inadmissible. But what happens when your testimony is personal? 
Look at what the Lord has done for me in my life. And you can speak about these things. When I was a little boy, when I was a little girl, this is how the Lord showed himself faithful to me. And I love him so much for that. I am so profoundly in love with him. I can't, I can't wait to be with him. Because you're giving a first-hand account. Peter is doing the exact same thing. This Jesus God raised up of which we are all witnesses. We saw him. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Remember, they said, these guys are drunk. They're fools. They're speaking nonsense. And Peter's saying, yeah, we speak in your languages, but it's the Holy Spirit. We're not drunk, as you assume. It's only nine in the morning, he said, remember? We're not drunk. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, notice the capitalizations here. He's saying, the father said to the son, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly without a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, the people were like, look how holy we are. We're devout Jews. We come to make alms before the Lord. We're following the law. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, this Messiah, this Christ whom you crucified, you killed the fulfillment of the law. And he's saying, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. And I love verse 37 so much. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Translates as pierced. Pierced and to agitate violently. That's what truth does to you and to me. Have you ever been so just incensed at the Bible? And I say that borderline carnally too. Because now I, the thought of being incensed at Holy Scripture, it's, I don't even want to think it. But I remember a time in my life where I was very offended. Like, how can this be truth? I don't want to apply this in my life. This is nonsense. You know why? Because I like this better. I don't want to apply this in my life. You know why? Because I like this better. I had another God. I had this other God. And the Lord messed me up. Praise be to his name. That's what happens when you have other gods. Yeah, the Bible says this, but boy, I love my crack. Oh, I know this guy. He makes the best meth. It's so cheap to make, but man, he makes it so good. And I love that stuff. It's called idolatry. We're going to study that more about sorcery. It's evil. It's demonic. 
That's what Satan wants. You remember, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to get to Acts, the teens. In Acts 19, you know, you have these people that want to fake the funk. And this, they called him a high priest. And he had these sons. And, you know, the sons, you know, they were like trying to perform in these, these miracles, these signs and wonders. And they would say, oh, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul teaches. And there was a demon possessed person. And, you know, the demon started to speak and says, Peter or Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who in the world are you? And all of a sudden this demon he just wrecks shop on these guys. That's what happens when you are disqualified to witness. That's what happens when your testimony is hearsay. Because you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart. And when you go and attempt to do a ministry in the flesh, Satan will win. Because there's no power. No power. And these people, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They were pierced in the heart. They translate says to, to agitate violently. You know, thus fulfilling what Matthew 11 verse 6 said. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Don't be a snowflake when you read your Bible. Do not be a snowflake when you read your Bible. The Lord will hurt your feelings. The Lord will confront your preconceived concepts. But it's not a mere man who's confronting you. It's Jesus Christ who's saying, no, there's a better way. Hey, put down the crack pipe. Follow me. Hey, put down the pornography. Follow me. Hey, put down these drugs, this alcohol, this whatever it is. Put it down. Throw it all away. Follow me. Put down these false teachings. And follow me. There's a better way. Who is at your right hand? Who is at your right hand? Be like David. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand. That I may not be shaken. And what do you see in Christian homes? You see people they are shaken. No order. Kids are a bunch of dummies. They don't respect their parents. Oh, Jay, I got this problem. Oh, what's going on? My daughter, she does this. You know, she cuts herself. You talk to the daughter. Oh, you know, she's on Ouija board. She's doing the Ouija stuff. You talk to the guy. Oh, I don't want to hurt her feelings. She likes doing it with her friends. What are you talking about? Who's the parent? Take that Ouija board. Throw it in the trash. Burn it. Who's the parent? Oh, I don't want to hurt her feelings. Okay, go ahead. You want to be a snowflake parent? This is what's going to happen in your life. And you know, I don't mean to sound abrasive when I talk this way. But I'll be like Peter. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. <laughs> so the people, the guys, they were cut to the heart. He says in now in verse 37, now when he heard when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren. Very interesting change of 
vernacular. They're not saying, hey, these people are drunk. They're not saying that anymore. Hey, these people are crazy. These people are crackpots. They're saying, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. Repent translates as to think differently. Think differently. You ever hear a guy or a lady say, hey, I repented. I'm sorry. It's like, you're not sorry, dude. You're sorry you got caught. That's why you're sorry. And you know what? You are pretty sorry. You need to repent. You need to think differently. Your mind is not in full submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're not thinking differently. Why? Look at the crack pipe. Why are you cooking spoons over here? Why are you rolling papers over here? What's up with this screen time you have? What's going on over there? You're not thinking differently. You're thinking like the old man. You're thinking like the old woman. You haven't reckoned the old woman dead. You haven't reckoned the old man dead. You're not sorry. You're sorry you got caught. And Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remission translates as reduction or the disappearance or the cancellation. You ever talk to somebody who has cancer? And then they go to the doctor, they do their chemo and it's like, wow, I'm in remission now. The cancer used to be a big old lump and now it's like this little thing. Or now it's gone. I'm in remission. It's disappeared. It's gone. And that's what Peter is saying here. For the remission of sins, it's forgiveness. Your sins, which were this big old cancer in your life, spiritually speaking, which would bring death in your life, gone. Forgiven. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love this so much because in verse 38, he says, oh, and you shall speak in tongues. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tongues isn't the gift. A lot of churches like to espouse that. That, yeah, the gift of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That's how you know that's confirmation that you're a Christian. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Tongues isn't the gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift. Peter says it here. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, it begs the question, am I called? Am I called? That's why a lot of Calvinists get away with murder. They say, you see, the Bible says that God calls people. You know what I say? Pick up the phone. Are you called? Pick up the phone. How stupid would it be if my phone, we're having coffee, we're sitting in a Starbucks, my phone starts ringing like crazy. And then I ask you a question. Hey, Fur, am I called? And here my phone is beeping, vibrating like crazy. Hey, Fur, nobody's calling me. And you're like, uh, hello, hello. 
So am I called? Are you called? Pick up the phone. In verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. From what? What do I need to be saved from? Peter gives the answer. From this perverse generation. Oh, but you know what? I like this generation. I like the crack pipe. I like the pornography. I like the sex. I like the drugs. I like the alcohol. I like these things. I like the Virgin Mary. I like Buddha. I like Islam. I like all these things. And Peter is saying, be saved from these things. Be saved from this perverse generation. And in the course of time, something happens. Something happens in the course of time. When you repent, when you have the remission of sins, when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you have all these things of the Lord, something happens in your mind. And you're like, I don't like the crack anymore. I don't like this meth anymore. I don't like this sexual stuff anymore. I don't like all these things. And you know, it's like, you're a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Notice, there's no laser light show. There's no like smokes, the smoke machines. You don't have the pastors with their highlights. The pastors speaking like rock stars. Oh, you know, thank you for coming, everybody. You know, and they try to sound cool. They got their skinny jeans on. They dress like they're rock stars. There's no trickery, no gimmicks. You know how easy it is to grow, to have, you know, to grow a social club? Spend, you know, $5,000, $10,000, get this huge venue, invite these Christian bands, pay them, you know, $5,000, $10,000, couple bands, have them come in, you know, have a little message, a little feel-good message, you're like $40,000 in. Piece of cake, easy. Pass the offering plate. Oh, yeah, if you're a part of this work of God with your dumb highlights, you know, Oh, if you talk like a rock star with your skinny jeans. Oh, yeah, be a part of the work of the Lord, you know. And they speak like stupid idiots. And they pass the offering plate. Yeah, go ahead and give. You know, write your checks. You know, we'll make it easy for you. You know, scan your credit card. You're $40,000 in. You make 60000 profit in one day. Or, you know, 60000 You know, net profit, $20,000. And you do it again every Sunday. False prophets. Piece of cake to grow a social club. It's a piece of cake. But that's not how the Holy Spirit rolls. Truth. Truth. The truth of God's holy word. Look at what happens here. 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And I love this so much because it says the apostles' teachings. It says a lot about their walk with the Lord. 
It says a lot about their intimacy with Jesus Christ because they continued in the apostles' doctrine. And these are ones who walked with Jesus. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. This is how you have the church body. The church body. So, you know, we're going to end our study here. We'll talk more about this next week. But we're going to end our study here. And uh, let's... Uh,